It's winter. For a second. It's winter for a second. Anybody complaining that we're not getting any snow? Anybody buy season ski pass this year and not had a chance to really use it? A little bit frustrated with that. And Pastor Kent's frustrated because there hasn't been any ice fishing. Although Ives Pond was frozen over, so if you want to go ice skating, at least it was, it was yesterday and the day before, so if you're interested in that. So glad that you're here this morning. I'm excited to be with you. Um, I just believe that today is a day that God is uh, going to be playful with us. We get to experience the joy of the Lord. So how do, how, think about this for a minute. How does this work in the natural? Um, if you have kids or were a child, raise your hand. All right, so this is for all of us. Do you remember being a child or having children and your parents waking you up and saying, be joyful today? Maybe some of them did. I have done that to my children. Was that the most effective way for you to experience joy and for joy to erupt in your home? Probably not. If you had to be woken up and your parents told you to be joyful, you probably were already at a loss, right? You're starting your day in the negative in the joy, joy department. But joy that explodes in our lives is usually kind of discovered in the moment. Right? Sometimes we anticipate it. Like I have a son that wakes up and says, what fun do you have planned for me today? And I, that drives me nuts. But the Lord said, I have given him that for a reason. Right? But for the most part, even in the midst of the planning of joy, sometime in the midst of it, we just go, oh wait, this is really exciting and fun. Like there's these... There's like laughter that just bursts out, right? Or somebody drops a joke. Or um, you realize, you know, while you're driving down the road in the summertime with your windows down and your favorite song comes on, just joy explodes into that circumstance and into that situation. And so I want to tell you that the Lord has planned joy for you today. But he hasn't brought you in this place and said, be joyful. Put a smile on your face. The joy that he's planned is out of existing in his presence and being in his presence. In fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Nobody goes to a fruit tree and commands the fruit to grow, right? How does the fruit grow? The fruit grows as it's in the right conditions. God has created all of the conditions today for an explosion of joy among his people. And I... I don't know if it's the lighting in here, but I don't know if we believe it. So, listen, God's not saying this morning, put a smile on your face and make yourself joyful. God's saying, lean into me. Come and be with me. Come and cooperate with me. Come and walk with me. Come and experience the fun I have planned for you today. And out of being with him and out of experiencing his purpose for your life, you should expect that there will be an explosion of joy. Some of you are nodding your heads. Okay. It, does the snow really affect us this much? I mean, okay, so you got here. Yes. But like, 
vitamin D problem. I have vitamin D. Come and see me later. I'll give you some. Like, guys, we're more than halfway through the winter. Is that something? Yeah? But, but I want to I let you in on the plan. Like, I want to let you in on what God's doing for you so that your heart can be open to that. Because oftentimes, have you ever been in a room where we're in the midst of people experiencing joy and you're just like, what's wrong with everybody? Sometimes it's because we're not on the plan, right? We're not in, in with the works or in with the plan. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to just kind of maybe take, maybe this is why God's asking me to do it because I keep talking about it and people are like, like, just take a deep breath. Right now, just do it. Take a deep breath. Reset the day with expectation that his joy is going to break out. Like earlier, we were singing about freedom. This is, this is not my notes. This is, we ended uh, early, so I got lots of time. So. Um, we were singing about freedom earlier. Like, how do we experience and celebrate freedom? Like, the beginning of freedom. How, do, how, do, how, do, how did this country describe the independence and freedom that we have? We rang a bell so hard we cracked it. Right? Like we shout it from the rooftops. I'm free, I'm free. How, do, how does a person who's healed of their lameness experience that freedom and announce that freedom? Religious people want them to just, well... I'm okay now. Like, but when, when we're truly set free, it's, it's exuberant, right? What do we do on the 4th of July? Yeah. We celebrate. We explode things to celebrate the freedom that we have. And so I just want to encourage you to, like, it's okay to play with God. I think God likes fireworks. I have no verses except that God made the earth and he made thunder and lightning. So, But I got no verses to back that up. I'm pretty sure he likes fireworks. I'm pretty sure he likes freedom. I'm pretty sure he likes his kids walking in freedom and experiencing freedom. And I'm pretty sure he likes a good party. I'm pretty sure. So just, you're like, where are you going with this, Pastor Josh? I don't know. Let's just have a good time in his presence. Does that sound good? Are you, are you saving all your joy for later at the, at the Super Bowl game? Like, we don't even have a team in this. Like, like let's, just, let's just blow the roof off this place now. Can we do that? Close your eyes for a minute. And I just want you to just tell the Lord, God, I'm available to you today. I'm available for your joy to explode up within me. I'm, I'm available for that deep well to be accessed. I'm available for the fun that you have planned for me today. My, my face is available for your smile. Because I've seen you, I can reflect you to the world around me. Let your glory be displayed on me with joy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How many of you dreamed growing up of having servants? Servants. Servants. How many of you, how many of you thought about that? What... what Tell me, what would you have, if you had servants, what, okay, I know we're all from Buffalo and we're all very humble people and we can all do it, we can do it for ourselves, but like if you had servants, what would you have your servants do for you? Oh, okay, clothes. Like you'd have them wash your clothes and iron your clothes and hang them up, maybe even put them out for the day. 
Sounds good, right? Shine your shoes. Some of you need servants to shine your shoes for you because you don't do it for yourself. Some of you need servants to iron your clothes because you don't do it for yourself. <laughs> Sorry, I grew up in a house where my dad's like, you got to have sh- shoes that are shined. Is everybody looking at my shoes now? You'd have somebody landscape for you, ooh, like, like a gardener. Yeah. Like, like Mr. Miyagi doing bonsai to your bushes outside. That'd be pretty sweet. Clean the bathrooms. Yeah. Cooking. Yeah. How about that one? I know I've shared this from the pulpit before, but I remember uh, I was in the bargain bin uh, at a Christian bookstore a few years back, and I found a book uh, by T.D. Jakes, and I'm in no way dishonoring T.D. Jakes. I believe he's a powerful man of God, servant of God, and prophet in the, in the earth. Um, but he had a book about how he lost weight. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so I opened it up, and I, or I didn't open it up. I picked it up, and I flipped it to the back, you know, to kind of read what this is all about. And on the back was a picture of him and his wife looking all skinny next to their personal chef. And I was like, all right, like, is that the key? Is that why this book is in the bargain basement? Like, like the key is get a personal chef? Because I, I don't know about that. Like, I, how many of you feel like you could, you could lose weight, eat, live healthy, and always be radiant and uh, if you had somebody cooking you healthy meals all the time, right? right? Maybe that's the key. I don't know. So what else would you have your servants do? Schedule. Yeah. Just plan your day. Like, good morning, Mr. Dispenza. Here's your newspaper. Here's your agenda. Hop in the back of the car. You know, ride to work. Right? That'd be spectacular. That's dishes. Yeah. Hire a dishwasher. Email. See, you guys have dreamed about it. You've thought about it. I know my dad has offered, uh, many of you know this, that he bought uh, a, li- a limousine. My mom and dad bought a limousine, an old limousine, to be able to transport their grandchildren around because they didn't all fit in a uh, minivan. So they have an old limousine, and they throw them all in there, and the kids ride around thinking they're pretty awesome, except when they get older, they think it's embarrassing. But my dad offered, he said, hey, Josh, uh, I would be willing to pick you up every week and bring you to church in the limousine. And I only live like five, six, seven minutes away. But it crossed my mind. I'm like, that five, six, seven minutes of time by myself to just think and not have to be with anybody, and like, that, that, that would just be spectacular. And my dad and I, we have a great relationship. We talk all the time. But he would, he would like go into driver mode, you know what I mean? Like, put the... Put the barrier up and I'm just back there by myself and, and I was thinking that would, be, that would be pretty spectacular that would be a luxury I'd enjoy having then I thought about the optics of it right like how would that look pastor pulls up to church every week in a limousine because I wasn't just thinking of riding in the back I thought about like getting flags in the front that had little H's on them and, like, like we all think about what it would be like to live the servant life and um, I mean to have servants <laughs> uh, but not often do we think about being servants my parents were pretty brilliant growing up, and they knew that it was important for us to understand what it meant to, to be a good servant, and so here's what they did to, to do that. They gave us an opportunity to have servants. And here's what they did. They, they called it king for a day. And growing up, there were, there were the three of us boys, when we were younger, they had this thing called king for the day. And every uh, Sunday, one of us was king for the day. And what we got to do when we were king for the day was we got to eat off, they had this like pewter plate, and we would eat off the pewter plate. They also had these like silver goblets that somebody had given them for their, for their wedding. 
And so we had a, a, like a pewter plate that looked like silver. We had a, 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 a literal silver goblet to drink out of. How many of you have ever drank out of a silver goblet? You feel, you feel pretty, pretty special when you're drinking out of that. But that wasn't it. That was cool, right? Like it was nice. You got to pick out your dinner. That was fun. Like you felt really special. But the best part about being king for the day is that your brothers had to be your servants. When that, when that silver cup got brought to the table, your brother brought it to you. And when that, that plate got set in front of you, your brother would bring it to you. Sometimes, I won't say who, uh, there, was the rec- there was the request by the king for the day that the napkin be placed over their lap by one of the servants. I mean, you've you got to understand, like at, at, at 10, 11, 12 years old, like, you know, what goes through your mind when you're thinking about, I got a couple of servants to serve me. What can I make them do? Pull my, t- pull my chair out. Push it in. You know what I'm saying? Like you start to get creative with all the stuff that you would ask somebody to do for you as a servant. But here's the, here's the, here's the key and here's what made it such a powerful lesson is that you were king for the day one week. You were servant to the king two weeks. And so we learned what it was like to have servants, but we also learned what it was like to be a servant. How many of you know, sometimes it's hard as a servant to carry the desires in the heart of your master, of your boss, especially if it's your brother, and especially if it's your little brother. So if your brother requests, hey, would you bring me that cup? You don't bring it to him and, you know, here's your cup, sir. You bring it. There's your cup, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference in carrying the heart to serve between slamming the cup down, doing your duty, getting it done, or carrying the heart of the person that you're asked to serve. How many of you, as you were dreaming about having servants, were dreaming about having uh, a a not-so-cooperative servant? If you had servants that did your laundry and they didn't do it how you wanted, would you, and you had the means, would you hire a different servant? Right. We're going to talk today about what it means to be servants in the house of God. What it means to carry the heart of the one that we serve. How as a priest in the kingdom of God, we're called to be servants. This is part of our series called Kingdom of Priests. And I just want to go over some of the stuff we've understood so far because I think it builds on itself and it gives us a, a great definition. But we, when we first start talking about this, it's important to kind of land here as we end with this, that God has always been looking for a kingdom of priests. God's design from the very beginning was to have a people represent him in the earth as a kingdom of priests. People who were connected to him, who carried his heart, and who served his purposes in the world. He did that by creating Adam and Eve. And when that was broken, he looked to do it in a people. And he started with the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Now if you will obey me and keep my commandment, you will be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. He's saying, listen, all of this is mine. I have, I have uh, right to rule and reign over all of this, but I'm calling out a special group of people, my own special possession, unique to me, who will represent me in the world, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is a message you must give to the people of Israel. God has been looking for a people, individually and as a group, who will say yes 
to the calling to be his own special possession, to carry his heart, to serve him and his purposes in the earth. And in fact, this isn't just an Old Testament concept. This is a New Testament concept as well. Turn with me if you want to Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5. If not, you can just read it because I believe that they will be on the screen. Here's what it says. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says this about Jesus. He has made us a kingdom of priests for his God and Father. All glory and power to him forever. Amen. Right before all glory and power to him forever. Amen. Is declared in the heavens. What is declared before that? He has made us into a kingdom of priests for his God. For his father. In fact, it gets a little bit deeper a little bit later in Revelation. It says this. Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10. This is a vision of what's happening in heaven, as God is advancing human history, as He's bringing human history not to the end of its conclusion. We think of Revelation as the end. We think of Revelation as just a prediction of what is to come. But it is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is in pushing the kingdom forward, in releasing the kingdom, in bringing back and restoring what has been destroyed. And so when we read Revelation, we're not reading about the end. We're reading about the beginning of the way that He wants it to be. And as Jesus Christ in heaven is getting prepared to push history forward, here's what it says. Revelation chapter 5, 9 and 10. It says, They sang a new song with these words. They sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and to open it. And we all said, whoop de doo no, what, he, what they're saying is he's, he's the one who's worthy to take what God has planned and announce it and declare it and cause it to come into being. All of history revolves around what Jesus Christ is doing to see history made. And it says this, this is why. Because you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus Christ and the work that He has done has gathered not just one people to be His own special possession, but what He has done has the power to gather people from every tribe and nation and tongue into His kingdom to represent Him. To do what? And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign in the earth. Jesus Christ in, in the beginning of the end of history or the end of our history and beginning of His history, however you want to look at it, Jesus Christ is worthy to do what He has been called to do. He's worthy. Why? Because He's completing the the call of God upon the earth for people. He has made a way for you and me, not just to be saved, but to become a kingdom of priests unto God so that we can represent Him, so that He can rule and reign in the earth through us. All of history has been calling a people out. And then we've read this scripture, but it's worth reading. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Why is He working this way in us? It's not just for His glory, but it's so His glory can be displayed in us. So that we can represent God to the earth. So that we can what? Uh, Peter said, so that we can show, we can demonstrate others to the world what the goodness of God looks like in a people. 
that we can be the servants that carry the heart of our master. And not only carry it like in our attitude, but carry it in our actions so we can literally demonstrate what God is like to the world around us. A little earlier in 1 Peter 2.5, here's what it says. It says, you are living stones. You and I are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. And what more, you are His holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. First of all, we're living stones. Think about this for a minute. One stone does not a temple make. Now, we do have scriptural understanding that you and I individually as a, individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? We are God's temple. But oftentimes we make that very individual. And we miss the point of what God is doing among us. When God called the people of Israel, He started with Abraham, but His vision was for something much greater. He said, he said, in fact, Abraham, what I'm going to do through you, it, no one's going to be able to count. To, going to be able to count. I'm going to build a kingdom of priests representing me in the earth that is countless. Yeah. And so understand this. It is important what God does with us individually. Like, we do have to say yes to God's purpose and plan in our lives if we want to be a part of this. God is calling each one of us, like he called Abraham, to step into his kingdom and to have relationship with him, to walk in covenant with him and to represent him in the earth. But it's not just as we do this personally, it's as we do this together. There's a corporate calling that we have. So look at the people around you. The people around you are the stones that God is using to build his temple among us. To build a place for his his inhabitation. He has called you into this fellowship and into his kingdom and into this kingdom in, in this region so that we can represent him to the earth. And we do that best when we're together. You don't just put like one stone down and go, bam, temple. takes living stones brought together. And how do we do this? By offering spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? It means we offer ourselves. Romans chapter 12 says this. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. How do we operate as priests in the world? We give God our lives. Not like, oh God, I give you my life, please save me from hell. Like we give him our lives to work in all of the time. Sometimes we're really good at giving him part of our lives, right? Oh no, pastor, I've given him my whole heart. Yeah, but does he have control of your schedule and your checkbook and your family time and your entertainment choices? Like, like well, yeah, like I, I come to church and I do my duty and... What more do you want from me, Pastor? Like, I do a small group, and I teach a Sunday school class. And I, Listen, I'm not asking. I'm saying God's asking us to live our lives in such a way that all of our lives are available to him. That he can direct and tell us anything that he wants to do. 
And as, he, as we gain his heart, it becomes easier and easier to do that. Do you remember the first time uh, you were asked to do something? Like, after you first got saved, you do anything. Then, like, a little while later, you got asked to do something. You weren't quite as radically saved as when you first got saved. You know what I'm saying? You got asked to do something. You're like, wait, wait, wait. You want me to do what? Or like that first time, like, you ran into that thing you didn't want to do. Right? Like, you're like, God, my life is yours. <laughs> Save me from heaven. And then the pastor the next week pre- just happens to be preaching about tithing. You're like, wait, what? Or, hey, hey, hey we, need, we need people to come and help serve here. Wait, wait, what? And we realize that, like, we're really good at being living sacrifices that, like, get on the altar and then get off the altar. Right? Like, that's the choice of a living sacrifice. A dead sacrifice has no choice. You throw the steak on the barbie, like, it ain't going there until you move it, right? Because it's dead. But if you throw a live animal on the altar, and it feels a little burn, where's it going? Right? That's our choice to become living sacrifices, to offer spiritual sacrifices. God has been looking for people who will do what he wants them to do to represent him in the earth. In fact, if you, read, you can read an account of this in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, God is rejecting the priests that are serving him at the moment. He's raising up a new generation of people. And here's what he says. He says, I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed king's forever. See, God is looking for people, not just who will, op, who will think about themselves as priests and do a few things that priests do, but he's looking for people that will say, my entire life is yours. I will do whatever you call me to do. I will be involved in this, no matter what it is. How do you remember the, the movie Nacho Libre? My wife, for the life of me, can't understand why I showed it to my three-year-old son when he was three. For the life of her, for the life of me. Anyways, you understand what I'm saying. What the heck you think in showing it to him? I think it's like every boy's birthright. I'm not saying that every movie that Jack Black has done is good and his body of work is worth looking at, but like, you should watch Nacho Libre. I'm just saying. The story, how many of you have not seen the movie? All right, just let me, let me bring you in on it. Uh, uh, Jack Black plays this, this uh, uh, man who grew up in an orphanage and eventually in Mexico and eventually was like graduated into, maybe forced into being one of the brothers, being one of the, the priests, but his, all he ever did was cook. And he was super frustrated. Like, like he had to wear the robes, he had to like, you know, follow the rules, he had to live with a bunch of other priests, he, you know, no girlfriends, that whole deal. And, uh, and all he was really allowed to do was cook. And so do you remember the scene? At one point he just asked, he's like, I want, to do, I want some priestly duties. Right? All I want to do is have some priestly duties. And sometimes we're like that in the kingdom of God. Like, we've been called into the kingdom, and, and, and we want to do the stuff that, pay, that people pay attention to. Like, God, I'm good with this, but I'm not good with that. I, I want to serve this way, but I don't want to serve this way. But I want to talk about what the priestly duties that God has given to each one of us are. It says in Romans chapter 15, 16, and 17, this is Paul talking about his call. He says this, 
my call is to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sacrifice, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Jesus Christ in my service to God. God has called each one of us and given us a priestly duty. We are not just cooks in the kingdom. It's important to be willing to do that, but it's super important to understand that our priestly duty is to have the heart of God and share it with other people. To take it to the world. To declare to other people that God is calling you into His kingdom. That God is calling you to be sanctified by His Holy Spirit. God is calling you, not just you, but you know what I'm saying, people that God has put in our lives. He's given us the calling to go to them. And not just the people He's put in our lives, but people that would never be part of our lives. To go and declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our priestly duty, to serve God with His message by serving people with His message. And we're able to do this because we have a great high priest who did this for us. Turn with me in your Bibles. This is where we're going to land today. We're going to look a little bit of Hebrews 9, and then we're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, Christ is the perfect sacrifice. So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. Everybody say all good things. All, say all good things. What, what does Jesus Christ have as a priest? What does he administrate? All good things. He's the great high priest over all good things that have come. And he has entered into a greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and not part of this greater world. So see in your mind that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in the tabernacle, uh, that, that meeting place of God's presence, and a greater tabernacle. And he is ministering in his presence. And what he is doing is he is representing his heart to, the, to, to God and giving us his heart to represent to the earth. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 and 28 says this, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes a judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. What is the role of this great high priest that we have? This great high priest that we have has doing what is necessary and has done what is necessary to bring about your salvation and my salvation, to set us apart, to set us free, to bring us back into relationships so that we can be the people that represent him in the earth. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10 says this. He said, look, I have come to do your will. And he cancels the covenant, the first covenant, in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. What does this mean? It means this, that Jesus didn't come to do his own will. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that you and I would be brought into this priesthood. See, some of us struggle with this idea, like, I don't know that I'm good enough. Guess what? You're not good enough, and neither am I. We're not holy enough to be priests. We're not smart enough. We're not... Uh, talented or influential enough, but guess what? Jesus Christ is. 
And he has done what is necessary. He has died once and for all to do the will of the Father and to make us holy so that we can represent him in the earth. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. In other words, God started a system, but he completed it in Jesus Christ. And we're comparing the old system to the new system, the old covenant to the new covenant. The covenant before that required sacrifice of blood day after day after day to cover sins, but never really to take them away, versus the the new system where Jesus Christ died once and for all. And his blood doesn't just cover our sins. His blood washes them away. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, where he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, listen to this, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I love that verse. Because the truth is this, Jesus Christ did it and you and I have been made perfect. And now we're being made holy. Do you catch that? Some of us, some of us were like, okay, you, the Bible says I've been made perfect, but I ain't perfect. How many of you would admit that? But the problem is that we stop there. Well, I guess, like, maybe, like, God will just accept me as I am. No, God's, God's desire is that, or God's reality is that you and I have been made perfect. His desire is that we grow and be made holy. Made perfect positionally now, growing in our holiness and our set-apartness to God, growing into that reality. And so the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. See, God is still completing his mission of making a people who are priests unto him. He's not looking for a priest. He's not, he doesn't want a system where somebody stands up every week like we have and just tells you what to do. He's looking for a people that will have his laws written on their hearts, who will understand who he is, that, that, that he will write his laws, his ways on their minds so that we can walk in it. And then he says this, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And when their sin has been given, there's no need anymore for sacrifices. So if we have this great high priest who has done this for us, what does it mean for how we live as priests unto our God? All of this has been leading up to a place of how do we represent him? We, how do we serve him? There's uh, some keys in the next few verses. I want to go over them very briefly this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 25 through 25, I'll read it and then we'll talk about it. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Because of everything he does, because of the perfect sacrifice, because of the once for all, because of the, we are made perfect in him, because it's God's will that we grow into him and we be made holy, because of what he has done, we can enter into heaven's most holy place. By his death, Jesus opened up a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. In other words, in the old system, there was a, a curtain, a veil, that separated the people of God from the presence of God. And only one person could go in once a year. And it was, it was very, very uh, rare to be the person that were, was called to do this. But God wasn't looking for one person to represent him. God had one person to represent him in Jesus Christ. And because he represented him so well, and because he was a sacrifice once and for all, now he's raised up a kingdom of priests who can represent 
represent Him in the earth because we can go boldly into His presence over and over and over again. He has made a new and life-giving way to go into that place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promises. Let us think of ways of, to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, if some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His returning is drawn near. See, what the Scripture is telling us is this. Because we have a high priest who rules over God's house, we can represent Him as priests in the earth. If there's a high priest, then there's priests. Right? And we have one high priest who calls us and who equips us and who rules. We have uh, a calling to be his priest. And we live with his rules. Pastor Dan talked last week about the authority of God be extended through the priests of God. How many of you are blessed by that message? I was blessed by it as I read it or as I listened to it as well. Listen, he rules over the house of God. His authority has been established. And we have been brought into God's house. Listen, don't miss the power of that little phrase. You and I are part of God's house. We know that we're part of God's house because verse 19 says, and so dear brothers and sisters, come on in. It's not just his house, it's our house. My parents, uh, I don't knock when I go to my parents' house. And my parents don't knock when they come to my house. Because we have the kind of relationship that what's theirs is mine and what's mine is theirs. Eventually, the house will be all mine. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? His house is my house, and my house is his house. We have a great high priest who rules over the house of God, and therefore, under his authority, we have authority and access to all of it. Don't miss the power, though, of sonship and of daughtership in this. How many of you raised children and at some point, or when you were being raised as children, heard your parents say or said yourself or both, this is not how, insert your family name, does things? How many of you have been frustrated with the way your children represent your family in the earth? Sorry, I can raise my hand. Maybe you shouldn't raise your hand, especially if your kids are in here. But the truth is this. God has called us to represent him in the earth, and he's given us everything we need to do it in an unembarrassing way to him. We carry his name. We carry his power. We carry his authority as priests in the earth because we're his sons and we're his daughters. But also don't miss this. Don't miss the power of inheritance. Like, that house will be mine. And so right now I get to use it however I want. I cannot remember the last time we had a birthday party at my house. Because my parents have a pool. And my dad's got a a little old gator that he lets the kids ride around in. And they put up a zip line for the grandkids. And his porch is comfortable. And there's lots of room for the kids to run around and be away from me. (laughs) Not this time of year. This time of year, family dinner is... 
But you understand what I'm saying? There's an empower of inheritance in being part of the kingdom of God. And sometimes we're waiting for that inheritance for later. Listen, there is a sense that when Jesus comes back, we get the full inheritance, but there's an inheritance that we have right now. There is access to everything that our dad has right now as we operate as priests. And also, don't miss the power of friendship. Jesus doesn't just call us servants. He calls us friends. We get to know what's on his heart and carry his heart. So what do we do? Four things super, super fast, I promise. Four things. These are let us statements that are in this scripture. Verse is this. Let us go right into his presence. As priests in the earth, we should be the ones who pray, worship with freedom. Scripture says, with sincere hearts, fully trusting, because our guilty consciences have been made clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. See, here's the problem. Oftentimes, we tend to deal with an old covenant-like system when we come to worship our God. We think we have to come in and somehow make amends for what we have done and the failures that we've had in between the last time we were with them and when we're with them now, and that's not what God has called us to. That's taking the access and the purity and the freedom that we have and going back into an old system. Here's what it looks like. We walk in like spiritual Eeyores. Well, well, not much of a Christian this week, I guess. I think I'll go into God's house. Maybe he'll forgive me. I'll lift my hands and I might hear something good today. Somebody give me a word and tell me I'm all right. I'll tell God I'm sorry. Maybe I could just be a servant in his house. Because I got what I deserved. Like we're prodigal son thinking. We've, sh- we've shifted back into the old system. Or we come in and we're like, I'm just going to worship my face off this morning because I'm so glad that God has forgiven me. We somehow think our exuberance makes him love us more. Listen, we should come in and worship our faces off, not because we have to get some kind of grace from God, but because we have the grace of God. We should come into this place ready to explode boldly into his presence because our guilty consciences have been sprinkled and washed clean. Listen, if we go back to an old system, we don't understand the system we live in, and we're probably not talking to God on his level. In, so, in some ways, we may have missed the gospel. Or somebody mispreached. Let's just not take the responsibility. Let's give it to somebody else. Somebody mispreached the gospel to us made us think it's about what we did. We should come boldly. If we are the priests of God, we should be the ones who are constantly in connection with him and in worship with him and in his presence because there's nothing that separates us from that. And we can come and declare to a world that's trying so desperately to come into God's presence to to clean their lives up. And we can say, you don't have to live like that. There's Christians that live like that, but they don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to tell you who God is. I'm going to tell you how much he's forgiven you. He has done it once and for all, and you are made perfect when you come to Christ. And so you can be free from trying to perform. And I can tell you what that's like because I'm constantly in his presence. If we're going to be priests in the earth, let us go into his presence. The second is this, let us hold tightly. Let us hold tightly to the hope. Let us affirm what God has given us. What does that mean? As priests, we learn and we teach. 
We learn and we teach. If we're not hungry for the Word of God, we are missing out on the priesthood. It is not difficult for people of God to understand what God is saying. And if it's difficult, we need to ask, am I operating in my priesthood? Am I understanding what God has called me to? But listen, if we're going to hold tightly, if we're going to what we hope, if we're going to affirm what we believe, we need to understand that God can be trusted to keep his promises. If we're going to do that, we've got to understand, you, you and I cannot hold tightly to promises we don't know. It's impossible to hold tightly to a promise we don't know. And so as priests who represent God in the earth, we've got to know what he says. That comes out of intimacy, but it also comes out of his word. You can't teach somebody something you don't know. Too, too, too many times in our lives, we, we just wing it. Now, let me say this. You can be a little bit presumptuous. If you know the nature of your God, you can sometimes declare the goodness of God without having, like, you don't have to have a specific Bible verse to back it up. Right? If God is good, then he's going to be good. And so sometimes people are like, I don't know, Pastor, and I'm like, I don't know either, but God is good, so let's go to him right now. Let's figure out what he says. Now, we can also go and study the word and see where he does that when we don't know, but here's the truth. You and I can't hold on to the regular promises of God if we don't know his word and read it. We can't teach it if we don't know it. So as priests in the earth, we've got to know what he says. We've got to not be in love with the Bible, but we've got to be in love with the God of the Bible. And if we're in love with the God of the Bible, then we love what he has to say. Put it in the right order, but we better get it in there. We've got to be the people who, who hold tightly. Let us, through three, motivate one another. Let us motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What does that mean? That means God's called us as priests in the earth to lead. If we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to serve him by leading. What is leadership? Leadership is just simply influence. Paul calls us, or the writer of Hebrews calls us as priests to motivate one another, to think of ways to motivate one another. Think about that for a second. Think of ways. What does that mean? He means be creative. Some of us as men have honestly lost the ability to think about how to love our wives because we just don't spend any time doing it. And we take our relationship and love for granted. But if we stop and we think about it for a minute, or think about it a lot, we'll come up with some good, good creative ways to do it, right? Same is true in the kingdom of God. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, think about ways to motivate one another. Spend your time thinking about creatively understanding how to lead other people with acts of love and of good works. But here's another truth. We can't think about motivating people to acts of love and good works if we're not doing them ourselves. That's called being a hypocrite and a Pharisee. So God's called us to represent him in the earth by doing those acts of love and good works and thinking about creative ways to motivate others to do it. And the fourth is this, if the worship team can come. If we're going to be priests in the earth, we're going to serve the Lord well. We're going to serve his purposes and we're going to serve with his heart. We are called to meet together. To not neglect. Why did the writer of Hebrews say this? The writer of Hebrews didn't say, hey, make sure that you meet together on the regular because that's just a good thing to do. The writer of Hebrews said, meet together on the regular because other people are not doing it.
Now, am I preaching to the choir here? Maybe. I'm not trying to make anybody who's come here for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time feel guilty. But what I am doing is saying, God tells us because we have been called as priests unto his kingdom that if we're going to do this well, we've got to meet together. We've got to make it our practice to meet together, to encourage one another. Why? Because he's coming soon. Let's, let us meet together in this place on Sunday. Let us meet together during the week to make disciples. Let us put into practice as we meet together the other stuff that God's called us to do. Let's serve his purposes of teaching. There are believers that don't know the things of God. How many of you were blessed by somebody when you were first came to Christ who brought you into a greater revelation of who he is? Right? They were operating in their priesthood. Guess what? That's for all of us. All of us should have somebody that we're gathering with on a regular basis and we're imparting these things to operating in our priesthood. All of this to say this. We are called to be priests. To serve our Father and His purposes in the earth and to represent Him. All of human history, all of His work in the world has been bringing us to this place. And sometimes when we hear messages like this, we walk away thinking, it is all on my shoulders. And here's, you, we've got to understand this. All of this was put on his shoulders. When we could not do it, he did it. So that we can walk in it. Would you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, you have dealt with our guilt and our shame and our brokenness. And you've always been passionate about bringing us into your house. Jesus, we glorify you because you have gathered from every tribe, tongue, and nation a people to represent you and your purposes in the earth. And so we take what you have done for us and realize our high calling as priests to serve this purpose in the earth. To see others brought to your kingdom 
Lord, I pray that none of us would do this in a religious way, but that you would teach us and empower us continually to go right into your presence, to hold tightly to your promises, to motivate others, and to meet together regularly to see your kingdom made manifest among us. We give ourselves today to you and your purposes. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing and Pastor Kent's going to come and dismiss us. Uh, But I just want to say this. If there's anybody here this morning that you have never received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, today can be the day that you come into his family. Today can be the day that you return to his family. Today could be the day that you start to walk in your priesthood like never before. And so if that's you today, I just want to invite you. There's some people that are coming to either side of the platform this morning and they're going to just be here to pray with you and to minister to you and to um, maybe lead you in an opportunity to surrender your life to Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you have a prayer need as well, they'd be happy to do that. You can even do that now if you want, or you can do that when we're done singing. But let's sing together. Let's worship the Lord and offer our lives to him. Before I close in announcements and prayer, just some real short announcements. If, if you, we have some ushers in the back for your giving and receiving your tithes and offering. If you're here for the first time, there is no obligation. If you feel God's putting something on your heart, please listen to what God has to say. If you're here for the first time, there's guest central in the back. Please stop by. Uh, let us get to know you. You get to know us a little bit more. Uh, that w- and we have a gift for you back there also. Small groups start up this week. If you're not plugged in on one yet, look on the website. See what's available. Plug yourself in. There is life in small groups. There's friendships and freedom that comes through that. Very much encourage you to do that. This Friday night coming up, there is a ladies' night coming up. I encourage ladies, come to come. Bring a friend. Uh, I won't be here, <laughs> but I know there'll be, there'll be worship. There'll be a word, and there'll be fellowship. And those are three good things to do. So I encourage you ladies to do that, enjoy that. And again, there's altar ministry up here. If you need prayer, if you need something, please come up. Let us partner with you. Pastor Josh's message was good. In in God's wisdom, he gives us a choice to serve him or not serve him. And how we look at it, whether we look at it as a chore, which brings bondage and frustration, or you look at it as we get to serve him. There's freedom, there's joy, abundant joy when you look at it like, we we get to do this. So Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you chose to give us a choice and we can choose you. Lord, that you would fill us with joy, fill us with freedom. Lord, as we walk out of here, that it would not be a burden, but it would just be an abundant blessing, knowing that we get to serve you with every breath you give us. Let us sing your praises. Lord, I pray for, I 
ask a blessing upon every giver here today. Lord, you would bless it many times back. Uh, and Lord, that every penny that comes into this place would honor you, that it would go to the places where you want it to go, uh, and it would serve you, Lord, like that, and further your kingdom here at New Covenant and around the world. Lord, I ask a blessing upon everyone here. Again, Lord, anything we came in with that wasn't from you, Lord, I pray that it was washed away today. And Father, we walk out full of you, ready to tell others who you are and how much you have for them and how much you love us. So Lord, we lift up this time and lift up this day. And I say it all in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Be blessed. Have a great day. See you soon. Uh-huh.